0: the biggest economies around the world, um, their biggest polluters and the economy is growing because uh, you know they have um, the, the biggest polluters, hence their the economy is, is growing as well. So how do we then strike a balance? South Africa, they will say, is not a, one of the biggest uh, polluters if you have to look at the scheme of things. How does South, South Africa as a country then make sure that also climate change um, future in its um, economic planning as well? Issues of climate change does uh, play a role. And also being considered as well. Glenn?
1: Yeah, thank you, Tully. I think um for me the close the biggest issue in South Africa at the moment, so one of the biggest issues is energy. And energy is obviously wrapped up with climate change. Um, you know, the the our economy particularly relies on a very dirty electricity, electricity from coal, so yes, why we might not be the biggest polluter in the world, our, econo- our economy is actually extremely polluting and that's because we rely on coal-fired power from ESCOM. Um, so- climate change, regardless of um, the impacts that are already happening in, in South Africa, we need to address it and we need to address this question of energy. And the great opportunity for South Africa is that we're able to address climate change and energy at the same time, because the fastest way out of our energy crisis is also a way of addressing the climate crisis. And that's through installing publicly owned renewable energy. So if we are able to start getting off coal, which as we know is unreliable, the plants are breaking down, you know, even the new plants aren't working efficiently. If we can get onto renewable energy, solar power, wind power as quickly as possible, that's a solution not only to our energy crisis, which is also an economic crisis as we all know, but it also will help us in solving the climate crisis. So I think we have a unique opportunity in South Africa and that's been recognized at COP as well. Um, As we know, the investment plan for um, the Just Energy Transition Partnership was released just ahead of the um, COP and that lays out a way that we can transition to a renewable energy economy in a just manner. So it looks at how we can move from coal fired energy to renewable energy in a way that doesn't leave particularly coal workers, but other people, communities behind, that it takes them with us and to make sure that we don't just replicate the big uh, inequalities in our energy and economy at the moment, but moves us to a place where people have a stake in the new energy future, which is renewable energy. What what are you uh, advocating in terms of uh,
0: what where should where, where should we strike the balance? Our um, heavy reliant on are our economy is heavy reliant on coal. How much of the energy mix must uh, must feature as well to enter the grid? Um, wh- where does the balance come?
1: I think, you know, no one is sort of saying we have to turn off coal-powered, fired power plants tomorrow. You know, that would be economic suicide for us, but we do need to move away from coal as quickly as possible, and we need to move away from coal completely. You know, the the types of things that were being spoken about at COP were fossil fuel phase out, and a number of countries um, committed to that, so that's coal, oil, and gas, and that means phasing it out of the energy mix completely. So that's the direction that the world is heading and we need to make sure that we're moving in the same direction, not only because we're going to face issues by trying to export our products and the things that we produce to other economies when they phase out of um, fossil fuels, but also again, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to create industries in renewable energy and create jobs, clean jobs in renewable energy that, you know people can take up and, and move with. So in terms of the balance, we're not saying turn off coal power plants tomorrow, but we are saying we need to do this as quickly as possible. And again, you know the, all the kind of things are there, all the aspects are there for us to do this transition in a just manner. We need great planning and political will. but the coal-fired power stations are on their way out. Uh, renewable energy is the most affordable and the quickest way to get new power onto the grid. And it creates jobs, You know, it creates clean, you know, well-paying jobs for people. So I think that's a really important aspect that we need to take into account. So when we talk about the balance, we definitely need to move to renewable energy as quickly as possible. We need to shift that balance from our reliance on coal to renewable energy quickly. And I think one of the key things we need to push back against is this idea that in the meantime, we need to use gas, because every bit of money, every rand that we put into gas, is money that will be lost to renewable energy, and we need to move quickly to renewable energy again, because it's going to help solve our energy crisis, but also because it's an opportunity, it's an opportunity for industry, for jobs, and for businesses to start around that, um, the the renewable energy industry.
0: The mix is quite important. I want to talk to Tadliwachibam um, because uh, we've just uh, recently returned, returned from uh, Coop uh, Twenty Seven as well. We're spoken about youth participation as well, but I, I just want to talk generally. What is contained in in, in the plan that um, you you help you and your youth um, help put together as far as uh, this important. Uh, Um, climate change issues are concerned for South Africa. What is the youth agenda as far as climate change is concerned?
2: Um, I think, you know, um, thank you for your question again, Tali, and thank you for having me. I think what the youth agenda is, is we try to make sure that um the just transition or any policy development um is intersectional so it involves women it involves the ones that'll be you know the most vulnerable uh, marginalized and to ensure you know women and girl empowerment and we wanted um you know the just transition uh you know plan to be very um, citizen-focused and relevant to all citizens um, and also, you know, um, relevant to grassroots. And um, and when we started our activism, we started it at a very local level with the Johannesburg Youth Climate Action Plan uh, when we were telling the city that this is the city we envision. And in in developing that policy and in developing that action plan, um, it is very important that, um, you know, issues such as, you know, social justices, you know, ranging from, you know, um, electricity access for all, water management, uh, bridging the the digital divide, all of that is seen in the Johannesburg Youth Climate Action Plan. So we wanted to start there at a very local level. And when we went on with um, what is now known as the South African Youth Climate Action Plan, we wanted it to build um, a foundation that will allow for, um, other key um, stakeholders in in our society to play a part in developing, um, you know, the just transition energy, uh, the just transition plan, um, and 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 that means consulting those stakeholders. That means going to those communities and and consulting communities and 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 speaking to communities on 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 how they could best one adapt uh, and they could best transition. Um, so that was basically our lens. That that's the youth. Lens that we brought into the discussion was to ensure that everyone is involved because climate change will affect everyone and yeah. um, for the marginalized it will probably be even more worse.
0: Yeah. Talking about um, marginalized and I, I know um, women feature pr- prominently that's why I want to to, to bring um, Karom Mkhonyana because she, you, you wrote on Mail and Garden um, not uh, so long ago a few days ago um, looking at uh, you know the, the example uh, policies adaptation strategies must be developed with youth and women, um, not just in consultation but also strict youth and women quotas need to be set for, um, at every decision making body at all levels and procurement. Abhin, you you will um, agree that um, what what clearly, what Clang was talking about definitely is what uh, you've been advocating. That let's just see uh, youth quite playing a pivotal role, but also the, the issues being taken to those um, important multilateral platforms. So it's the even in the AU and the and the EU. Um, Karabo, just want to come to you to 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 make and put on, on those level.
3: Thank you so much, Tali. Um I think just in, in relation to I guess the South Africans' climate change um, agenda, I think the biggest thing that we need, or a risk that we need not do is not having a gender responsive, um, you know, approach to everything. You know, marginalized groups are very key and crucial to this entire process. And not just in terms of us in being involved in movements, us being involved in grassroots stuff. But I think the four things that, or four aspects that we need to highly feature in that the conversation is not necessarily leaning towards that direction. I'd say firstly, us being involved in substantive leadership roles that do really involve decision-making. Because women are involved, women are at the table, um, not as substantively as we would like, but even those who are then involved in these conversations don't necessarily have the power to either influence decision-making or then to contribute to the decisions that are made. And that is problematic because then we are leaning towards a tokenism um, involvement of women in this conversation. But also then the biggest thing is the procurement process that you know women need to then be taking into consideration when we are talking about public procurement of any of these renewables or anything. And a lot of the times women are not necessarily you know, involved in this specific place in terms of procurement we are mainly left in the conversations around campaigning advocacy but we need to then either create platforms that allow women to create um, businesses that provide these renewables or at least those that exist to be considered first-hand in procurement processes and then also just financing and resourcing women-led programs we also need that to be a big feature and i think one that is highly undermined and assumed that I guess everybody knows is then the gaps that exist in terms of capacity building. I don't think this conversation is highly um, wholesome in terms of women necessarily knowing, you know, something as basic as what exactly is climate change. I think we need to bring it down and ensure that this conversation is inclusive and capacity building is such a big feature because you have women who are involved in farms and agricultural um, you know, programs at community level, but are not necessarily involved in this conversation and not because they don't want to or they can't, but sometimes it is a capacity gap so that they can be capacitated to be involved in the design and implementation of South Africa's climate change.
0: Glenn taylor just just before I go to Spusis uh, as well, I mean, I, I want you to respond to, to, to this question of procurement as well, because you're talking about if we're going to move to to this, uh, uh, to the renewable energy as well. You say, I heard you speaking about we need to with it, to move immediately, faster, all these immediate actions and stuff. You know, are we preparing? Is there a transformational agenda that must take, and take place? you know because sometimes when you move quickly then you are likely to move
1: others behind no, it's, a, it's a very good point. And I think the work that the Presidential Climate Commission has done has been really good in this um, aspect. And they've really gone down and spoken to communities. You know, obviously not everyone in the country, but particularly in affected areas like Mpumalanga and other places, people who might be affected by this energy transition, they've gone there and spoken to them. They've had, you know, town hall meetings um, to, to really get people's experience and wishes into this. Um, you know the plan essentially for the just transition, and I think it's fantastic to hear the gender element coming across so strongly because there is so much again, so much opportunity. You know, in a renewable energy powered future, to include women and include other marginalised groups. You know, if we do it in a very considered way, and that's the opportunity that we have before us. And we've made some great um, starts through the Presidential Climate Commission that I mentioned, through other processes as well. But if we Don't do it intentionally. If we don't really make sure that we're wanting to do this in the most intentional and thoughtful way as possible, we will leave others behind. And so that's why you know, particularly with um, people in other departments like the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy, you know, that department under the leadership of Greta Montashe has really not taken up the opportunity that's available there. They continue to talk about coal-fired power plants and building new coal and gas and things like that. And that's just not the forward thinking that we need. We need a really good plan that will take everyone together towards this energy future that we need to work towards so I think that's really really um, important and that's what we as 350 Africa are trying to push for is a really planned well-considered just energy transition
0: mm, quite important uh, the equitable equity is quite important as well I mean someone who but were, were in inside the, the negotiation who got a glimpse of uh, what was happening at cop 27 inside the, the the plenary um I, I just wanted to just get a, a sense um, of, of of some of those deliberations. Sibusiso uh, Mazoba, Youth Delegated um, uh, COP27 as well for South Africa. I mean, you. I know that you also uh, you're a council call uh, campaigner at uh, African Climate Alliance. But take us through what what is, what it was like getting involved in those uh, in, uh, negotiations, but also being in in, in the midst of uh, negotiated as well, and just how difficult or was it because if, if the, the the negotiators had to agree on on consensus, uh, it's it's quite difficult um, to to for for one to pursue their own agenda while at the same time um, other people are saying that uh, we should not move as fast as we should, but also a lot of things are into consideration. Uh, suppose,
4: yes. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So mm-hmm. I attended uh, COP uh, COP 27 in Egypt. Uh, it was the second time attending COP. Um, I did attend the last one uh, in Glasgow last year. And you know, I think attending COP as uh, a young person, firstly, I just want to say you know th- you know the work that the Department of uh, Fisheries, Forestry and Environment is doing in having young people, young negotiators, you know, be part of the conference um, as party delegates, which means that you know as a young person you have access to the negotiating spaces. You know that is that is you know pioneering work and very incredible work that is much needed. Of course, there are gaps, um, you know, uh, along the way uh, that still need to be addressed. But, um, you know, it it is a start. And South Africa is one of the few countries um, at COP that actually has young negotiators present in the negotiating rooms. And so attending, you know, this COP uh, specifically, Um, I was, you know, following topics on finance, uh, on uh, capacity building and on oceans uh, and loss and damage as well. So I think, you know, the the biggest outcome of the conference was uh, around loss and damage, which I think while we, you know, it it is an instrumental, uh, you know, step um, that we take uh, collectively, uh, you know, as as, as parties in realizing and, and recognizing the importance of loss and damage. Um, it is very important as well to acknowledge and to learn, you know, from uh, the, 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 the adaptation fund that has already been established. Um, in 2009, in Copenhagen, developed countries um, promised, uh, pledged $100 billion per year between 2020 and 2025 um, in the Cancun agreement. Um, however, that $100 billion goal has not been met yet. Um, it is still lagging behind um, by over $200 billion. Um, And since 2009, this finance goal has not been met. And so I think we need to move beyond commitments. It's very important that, you know, we do not uh, let this uh, loss and damage fund become another political statement um, like the adaptation fund was. It needs to be based on the best available signs. Um, It needs to be based on the needs of those developing countries. And so I think, you know, being part of the negotiation rooms um, and being present gave me a very different perspective. Um, it's While it is important that, you know, developed countries work together with developing countries in order to meet uh, the needs of developing countries who are bearing the brunt of the climate crisis already, equally important is the need for cooperation between developing countries. Because, you know, I got a chance to attend uh, the G77 in China session and, you know, countries are split on basic principles like equity. And while, of course, equity is, is 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 there isn't a solid definition of equity in the UNFCCC, that the convention does not make a provision for any uh, you know rigid definition on that, it is important you know that we that we recognise and move beyond that. Now is not the time uh, for fighting you know amongst ourselves as developing countries. We need to you know focus on the bigger objective, which is on making sure that financial flows are consistent with our needs, and that requires cooperation. And working together with the developed countries and putting pressure on the developed countries to to, to meet their commitments and so activists um you know uh, young activists at cop have been very instrumental um in that process unfortunately as i said south africa is you know one of the few countries that has young negotiators so we do not have many young people in those negotiating spaces um but you know it, for the first time ever in the cover decision um of uh the cop um it was included that you know countries should uh, have you know at least young negotiators uh, as part of their delegation and so I think that is a step forward but then you know you know it was mentioned before um in the panel that capacity building again is very important you know just like women need capacity building the young people that go to the conference you know need the capacity building when I attended my last cop uh in cop 26 I you know I, I went there and negotiations are very technical and as a young person who has never been exposed to any of these knowledge prior it was very overwhelming. And so, you know, I think we need to work on making sure that we build the capacity of young people who are attending those conferences so that we move beyond just inclusion and move towards meaningful inclusion. You know, I think at this point, uh, you know, where we are with this crisis, um, you know, I really, the climate crisis is inevitable at this point. You know, it's going to be a very long, brutal intergenerational crisis. And so we need to move beyond just trying and we need to commit to solid action. The COP was supposed to be an implementation COP, but then you cannot have implementation without finance, without technical assistance, and without capacity building. So it's very important that you know developed countries work together with developing countries and move beyond the politics uh, in order to ensure that we have meaningful, real action for the developing countries who are at the front lines of, of, of the crisis. Mm.
0: Uh, definitely, obviously, the the... The, the agenda for developing countries needs to be uh, unisoned. I'm I'm trying to, uh, Glenn Taylor-Davis, I'm going to come to you to talk to uh, us about what, whether the developing countries, but Africa specifically, I mean, if you're from, from uh, 350 Africa, obviously you have been looking at whether the continent is united as far as where they're supposed to be moving towards um, renewable energy, but also issues of climate change. I know Sadek heavily um, impacted uh, on, uh, we have seen natural disasters in, in droves, really. And I want to come at that. But before uh, uh, Glenn Taylor-Davis, clearly uh, uh, I want to come to you Ms. Well because during the youth pavilion, uh, during South African pavilion at, at, at COP27, you, you also had a youth segment there. But what sense did you get that um, young people of other countries are speaking in one voice? Because me and we also attended other sessions as well. Um, just to get a sense of whether there's, there's there's some sort of uniformity as far as um, young people are concerned, but also are they talking to each other on other on, on other platforms to say this is where we are supposed to be moving?
2: Um, yeah, definitely, Tali. You know, I, I remember we attended a session together in one of the pavilions, and and observa- observation I made was that it. The, in the in the pavilions, it looks like countries are just speaking to each other. It looks like this could have just been a Zoom call um, at home because we weren't seeing, um, you know, South Africans at like the Indonesia pavilion and etc. and etc. Um, but I think one thing that I think young people showed at COP is that we had what was called the Children and Youth Pavilion and there we would have representative from all the different networks um, that we uh, do as, as youth at SAI are part of such as the We Are Tomorrow and 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 I think at the you know the children and youth pavilion, the one thing that was clear was that Africa is very young, and I think that's our biggest asset, and that policymakers need to consider youth as important stakeholders and agents of ch- change, um, and and that it is you know very much you know important um, that in developing the rights and agency of young people, that they should not only be reflected in the policies themselves, you know, but also in the policy making process that Susiso is speaking about. So um, I think something that was very important at COP was that we were seeing young people, um, you know, from you know having observer badges, young people that had party badges, and we also had young people that were protesting outside. And all those young people had the same message. They wanted to facilitate a broader, a broader youth participation at COP um, so that um, we also create a pathway and a space for other young people to come in the next COP um as and we also want cop to look like africa i think um you know in the beginning tally i did mention that you know this cop was was labeled or termed you know africa's cop and it being africa's cop we really needed to see a lot of young people because africa is really young um so cop needed to look like what africa looks like um but, yeah, I think that was one of the strengths that young people at COP had, was one to have our own pavilion. And in that pavilion, we had so many sessions and so many discussions um, that young people were sharing ideas um, because we all are facing, you know, the same difficulties in our activism and even defining our spaces with our governments and, you know, um, you know heads of states. And sometimes it feel like um, our participation there is very tokenistic. But I think one thing that is very important And I think, again, have to you know command the dFfe and the PCC in doing was to get young people physically there I think that was the first step and I think moving forward like has said the participation will have to be meaningful so um dr tuli from the PCC mentioned something very important while we were there that the reason that they have us as young people there is to want for institutional memory so that we can remember that at cop 27 this is what South Africa agreed on and this is what South Africa was negotiating on so that we can carry on the work and that the work doesn't stop especially because um in the next generations to come we're going to be leading a country that has a lot of climate change um you know um problems and has a lot of things to address in relation to climate change and the effects are going to even be more um evident therefore you need to capacitate those young people and ensure that they know um some of you know the commitments and you know the transparency that has been happening um, in our government institutions.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I then now, Glenn, in terms of the, the Africa, like I mentioned earlier, in terms of uh, whether we are moving in one direction, and also just Hs, I suppose if you can try to get his video back on, because I'll be coming to him back, and then uh, then Karabo, before I get the concluding remarks from from all of you. I I, I just want to, Glenn, in terms of uh, what I spoke to earlier on, on Africa, whether we should have one agenda, because sometimes we're going there as um, you know independent countries, but should we then say we have a particular African agenda on this? And and and, and what has been your observation as 350 Africa?
1: Yeah, thank you. I think the um, we, we should have one agenda. Africa is going to be hit uh, the hardest by climate change. Um, and we've already seen the impacts across the continents, um, ongoing droughts in the Horn of Africa, Um, In South Africa, we've got droughts in the Eastern Cape. Um, We've had the rain bomb in KwaZulu-Natal recently, the cyclones in in Mozambique. They're they're really, you know, it is a real crisis in Africa already. Um, So I think Africa should be talking with one voice as much as possible. And I think, you know, across Africa, there are activists coming together in a number of different fora and, and forums, and often those interconnect and overlap And that's really heartening to see. And there were a number of uh, protest actions at the the conference of the parties. And that was really good to see as well. You know, people from across Africa coming together, uniting in one voice and calling for climate justice, which is fantastic. The one issue that I see, though, as well, in terms of, you know, talking about African unity, there were a number of African countries who were, pushing ahead of COP, particularly, for the kind of right for Africa to exploit its own fossil fuel resources. Now, unfortunately, you know, that was largely made up of, you know, a small number of elites who see some sort of financial gain in exploiting fossil fuels for their own good. That's not the youth, you know, and Hediba has been speaking about the youth, and Karabo has been speaking about women. And those voices are not prevalent in those sorts of conversations. And I think the youth are the future of the continent. We are a young continent, and we need to be listening to young voices. And those voices, as far as I've heard, are not saying we need to invest in fossil fuels. They're saying we need to get away from fossil fuels because our future is renewable. It is clean. It's distributed energy. It's energy for people. And that's the advantage of renewable energy is that it can get to people in remote places. You know, we know in Africa that's been a problem. People who are away from big cities don't get power. They don't get access to electricity and certainly not affordable electricity. And that's the promise that a renewable energy future holds. So I think we need to embrace that um, for Africa. And yes, Africa continually or needs to continue To speak with one voice, as I saw on the streets of COP in Egypt, we need African people coming together, calling for climate justice, calling for a climate debt to be paid by the North to Africa and to other affected um, countries and regions, so that we can fund this transition to uh, to renewable energy and to climate justice. Mm Glenn, still with you, are are governments listening to each other? What, What is your observation? I think, I think they are. The question, or the more burning question, is are they listening to the people? Um, I think that is what really needs to happen. And, you know, again, South Africa has had a fantastic example in the Presidential Climate Commission in going and listening to people, listening to people on the ground, listening to young people. That's really important. I mean, there are youth representatives on that um, Presidential Climate Commission. So that really is a shining example. And that's been recognized by other countries at COP. The work that the Presidential Climate Commission has done, this um, investment plan that they've put together for our Just Energy transition, that's been recognized as really groundbreaking and really solid work. So the inclusion that we've seen there, we'd love to see more of that, you know, inclusion of young voices, inclusion of women, inclusion of other marginalized um, communities. I think we need to see more of that. And I would like to see more of that across Africa. You know, right now in Uganda and Tanzania, they're considering this East African crude oil pipeline, you know, to try and take crude oil out of, you know, the DRC and Uganda, and it's not energy for Africa, that's energy for export, you know? And they say, oh no, but this is the way we're gonna develop, we're gonna get money from this. No, people don't want uh, their elites and these companies often foreign owned companies getting money, we need energy for us. And again, the promise of renewable energy is getting that, you know, affordable electricity that can be owned by people, you know, to people. So I think that's really what we need to be looking at. So yes, governments need to listen and talk together in one voice but more importantly they need to listen to people
0: yeah it's quite important
1: um just
0: just in terms of i'm going to go to just now but uh, do we have enough um because we talk about youth we talk about women as well you know organizations such as sire as as, as an international relations body will have its youth component as well but also um in terms of women do we have also the skills for 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 women are they united do we have enough in in terms of or are they organized because government will say no organize yourselves you know um are they recognize uh, recognize? i was still i was seeing that i mean also in in, in, the, in the african union as well are we seeing representation there i was seeing a movement going there. we have seen how, how, how devastating the impact on, on climate change has been, particularly for women who look, need to look after the household. We've seen what has been happening in Mozambique um, as well.
3: Thank you, Tali. Um, I would say that in terms of women, I, I think there's not much of platform recognition for women as is for youth engagement and youth involvement. Okay. Um, but the sad part is even with the lack of recognition, women are still doing a lot. You know, there's a lot of like informal mobilization that's happening at community level or within the context of um, you know, even informal movements in itself. So women are participating in those sort of things, but also we are seeing women who, you know, like professionals who are basically sitting at these decision-making tables as to whether that is substantive or not. I think we are we need to be questioning um, whether their inclusion in these spaces are as substantive. But I do think the women's voice and inclusion has been highly neglected. It's been presumed by virtue of having women sitting at a table or in the context of, you know, just involvement generally, you know, marginalized groups there's this assumption that, okay, you have young people, then you have representation across the board of different marginalized groups. And I think that alone is quite problematic because women play a specific role at community level. Um, Women are very particularly great in terms of ensuring that the benefits in terms of renewables will be shared at community level. And I think that is something we ought to really question in terms of, you know, us getting, you know, um, renewables that are affordable and accessible. And women play such a crucial role in the sharing of benefits at a grassroots level um, of which that voice is highly neglected. Um, Same thing at the African Union. I think the only thing you really see is the future of um, maybe young women in terms of um, organized um, small scale type of campaigns, even that is not necessarily very prevalent. You see them as professionals as well, but even the decision-making power is very minimal. So I think we're yet to do so much more for women inclusion and just the prevalence of that, because I think there are too many assumptions made with regards to women inclusion in this specific conversation, and these um, assumptions then lead to high levels of exclusion.
0: Yeah. Uh, so our current... Um forgive myself uh i, mean, I think i, I observed that you're still at uct um just in terms of your background i'm mean, seeing so you're, you're speaking to us from your um your residence and 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 looking at how young you are i mean <laughs> just a bit of just just educators in terms of uh, who you are as well and also your, your interest in on on, on on how do you get involved in issues of climate change because some will say no maybe you should have been focusing on music for example you're still young <laughs>
4: Yeah, well, um, yes. So I am from UCT. I'm a student at the University of Cape Town, um, studying oceanography and environmental and geographical science. And I think I got into that field specifically, you know, because I got a chance to interact with organizations like the South African Institute of International Affairs and, you know, to understand really the the. the the urgency of, you know, the environmental, multiple environmental crises that we are facing. And, you know, the ocean is one of them. So, you know, the ocean is a huge, a massive reservoir, potential reservoir for uh, carbon dioxide, which is a major greenhouse gas. And so, you know, to me, it was really important to, to sort of, you know, invest my, my time in, you know, trying to understand and study, of course, the oceans and understand the potential, the mitigation potential that, you know, the oceans uh, pose for us. And I think, you know, I'd really like to make other people, other young people understand really the urgency of the crisis that we are facing, because currently, you know, warming, our warming trajectory as the world is set for 1. Point, uh sorry 2.7 degrees celsius um, and the paris agreement you know tells us that you know in order to in order to avoid a climate disaster that will put millions and millions of people um, at risk we need to keep warming to 2 degrees and not and aspire towards a, a 1.5 degree threshold but then at the rate that we are going currently we are set for a, a 1.5 degree uh, warming by 2030 And at 1.5 degree, we are already reaching critical tipping points. You know, as an oceanography student, um, I will tell you that the West Antarctic ice sheet in Antarctica in the Southern Ocean is already, you know, begins melting at 1.5 degrees Celsius. And we have the most productive uh, upwelling system, the Benguela upwelling system in our West Coast, which, you know, is directly connected to the, 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 the Southern Ocean. And so, at 1.5 degrees, that it impacts the Benguela upwelling system, and that is a, That has implications for millions of people that rely on the fish, uh, that rely, you know, uh, on the productivity uh, in that region. And so, you know, as the world, uh, we are really facing a climate disaster. It, it is, it's, it's really important that you know we we lobby for action not just at an international level, but at the national level as well. I mean, one year, you know, after the KZN floods. What what has happened since then, you know, has has the resilience that is needed been built? Um, you know, people died at, in the case of the floods because they were located in the floodplains. Have those people been relocated? Have assessments been conducted to make sure that the same thing does not happen? Or do we just get amnesia and wait for another flood to come? before we, we we then, you know, go and show face and nothing really happens. So it's really important that, you know, as young people, as a young person, I will say that it, it's important that we're all active in putting pressure on our government. Um, we all have a role to play. We all have an entry point. Uh, you know, and maybe that's why I didn't choose music. Maybe that's why I chose, I chose climate change. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's, and there are different entry points. There's entry points through music as well. You know, we can, we as I said, we all have a role to play. And so it's really important that we are all putting pressure on the government now is now is the critical time to do that um you know because all of us will be affected yeah
0: i, I mean so in in, in 10 seconds uh, i think action is very important yeah you, 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 you can just just freeze there at the end but uh, in in 10 seconds in terms of um do you think i mean specifically on the case at N, do you think enough has been done for what, so from your observation? Because let's not talk about funds being available and order to deal with the thing, but do you, do you get a sense that there's been enough response? What has been your observation in KZM? Um,
4: I think you know we do not, as, the, uh, as Global South generally, but as South Africa, I'll speak about South Africa specifically, we need early warning systems, which we currently do not have. Cities like the city of Johannesburg have two scientists in the whole city working Two scientists. And so that really tells you that, you know, there's a huge there's a huge gap that needs to be addressed. We need, you know, investments in we need our government to invest in early warning systems in order to prepare people to deal with the impacts of the crisis. The crisis is coming at this point. We cannot avoid it, but we need to prepare ourselves. We need to adapt. Adaptation is something that needs to happen now. And adaptation is something that needs to be led locally by, you know, by local communities. It cannot be top down. It needs to be bottom up. And so local communities, young people, women, indigenous people, all of them need to be included in those in the creation of those solutions. And consultations have to be meaningful and not just for for, for tick boxes. And so we need lots of investments in data and early warning systems to prepare communities for the impacts of climate change.
0: No, I'm really scared now. I'm I'm really really scared. I mean, a, a day with you, I I mean, I will stop completely everything and then just basically be opening right. the, the climate change Bible because I think <laughs> it will be quite an, an a significant one. Thanks, Rufus. Sorry
4: questions. to scare you.
0: No, 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 no. It's it's the truth. Unfortunately, it's the truth we live in now. Because Glenn Taylor Davis, I want to speak to you now because do you get a sense that governments are listening to scientists? You know yourselves who are leading campaigns. Are you being listened to? Uh, you know, are the scientists being listened to? Say, we are hurting at this this, this particular degree, and it's 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 we're already on. is its it is it is it, um, is it eight billion um, population? What the UN Secretary General said in terms of uh, child eight billion being born, and, and the pollution is piling up. Um, it's 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 a scary thought, but I think we are at a. I don't. know, It's not even a crossroad right now. It's not a tipping point.
1: Mm. Absolutely. And yeah, and no, I don't think governments are listening to scientists, you know, and that is painfully clear in South Africa. I mean, the Benguela current that Sibiris was talking about affecting, you know, fisher people on the Western Cape or sorry, on the Western coast. Those fishers are currently fighting for their lives and their livelihoods, trying to keep Big companies like Total and others, to, from stopping for drilling for gas in those very same waters. And you know, yes, we need adaptation; we definitely need that. And we need mitigation. We need to stop. If you're in a hole, when we're in a very deep crisis in terms of the climate crisis, when you're in a hole, the first thing you need to do is stop digging. And unfortunately, our government continues to try and give exploration licenses and licenses to uh, exploit fossil fuel both in our oceans and on land so companies and, you know, the science is clear. The science says we cannot exploit any new fossil fuels, even the fossil fuels we know about, we can't exploit all of those. And yet our government is giving out licenses to explore for more oil and gas off our coast, and also, you know, inland as well in terms of fracking. So no, I'm afraid that our government is not listening to science and we need to do more. And that's where, I mean, this wonderful panel that you've assembled, you know, that the, there are people out there taking really courageous, brave, um, action, ambitious action, you know, and it's wonderful to be here with, with all of these people. Um, so I would say, you know, support these local groups, support the groups that we represent and others who are trying to tackle the climate crisis. And if people are interested in doing that, uh, 350 Africa's website is 350africa.org. And you can go there and you can follow the campaigns that we're working on. And we're trying to hold our leaders to account. We're trying to say, you know, this is what the science says. The science is clear. We now need to take action.
0: Absolutely. That's the one important
1: you you remember, concluding remarks.
2: Um I think just to conclude and I think I, I noted those down because I wanted to say it as the best way I can, is that Um, Through the SAOICAP, we tried to create a model for government. And what this meant was that we wanted the government to know that they shouldn't work with individual young leaders, but they should work with us through networks and institutions and organizations and schools and stakeholders um, so that we can also, um, you know, have young people that are out of school and et cetera. And this will help really to facilitate a broader um, broader youth participation in the climate policy development and also the implementation it is very important that in working with these groups and these networks that we it it becomes a way to create greater diversity of youth voices and experiences to be considered in the youth um, decision-making processes. So in the SAYCAP, we tried our honest best to to translate the lived experiences of young people in this country into policy. And we think government and NGOs and civil society should then take up that model for themselves. And it should be something that we work towards as an action plan for South Africa in, in our response. Thank not, you so much for having me, Tani. No,
0: really, it's a pleasure. Really a pleasure for you to come to to to, to us, um, Karabo, In terms of um, what what, how are you going to take the the campaign forwards? Just in, in 30 seconds.
3: 30 seconds. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. So I would just, I think on my part, because I do a lot of campaigning, policy reform, legal reform, I think the biggest thing is to really get things on paper, particularly for representation and inclusion, but also then questioning some of the things that are being done. I mean, if we are to transition to um you know these green economies it needs to be very inclusive There are very much a lot of social and economic systems that need to be taken into consideration and women are not necessarily just beneficiaries we are partners in this conversation and I think it's about time that we are viewed as partners because in missing out on what we have to say this entire strategy is not going to work I will bluntly say that
0: mm. Very important. We 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 not um, we definitely are right in the mist as well. It's quite it's quite important. Um, suppose.
4: Um, yes. I think. Uh, in conclusion, I think. All right. While he's still
0: thinking, um, I think um the network is still working working with him. Suppose so you, you just uh, froze there a bit. If you can go again,
4: yeah. Uh, sorry about that. Yes. No, I was just saying, I think as much as there's a lot of despair, you know, with the crises that we're facing, there is hope and the solutions are already there. Okay. You know, um, so the young people from the South African Institute of International Affairs, as Delue mentioned, uh, you know, have already ventured on a, an, an ambitious policy process. Uh, the South African Youth Climate Action Plan, not only ambitious, but also implementable. Um, and, and, you know, as Garabo said, it needs to, we need inclusion. We need uh, diverse voices to inform the decisions that, you know, come out to, to tackle uh, the, the the crisis that we're facing. Um, and so we need to make sure that, you know, all groups of society are included and to look at the solutions that are already there to work together with communities in order to, 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 to deal with uh, climate change.
0: It's quite important. Thank you very much. Also, we, we, we it's nice to finish up on a positive note because we still have a lot of work to do, but also just to say, you know what, not all is lost. Glenn Taylor-Davis, let's conclude.
1: No, I don't think I could say it much better. I think there are reasons for hope. We need to put our shoulder to the wheel. There's work to be done. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, a just transition is possible and an inclusive one as well. So, you know, there's everything to play for. And I think, you know, the, the, again, the people here uh, and lots of others across the country are working very really hard to make that happen. And I think if, you know, anybody listening or, or watching this can get involved, they, they definitely should. Um, we need everyone. Absolutely, everyone needs to get involved. Ms. Kalua uh, Shibambu, thank you so much
0: for being part of this important discussion, climate, active, uh, climate justice activist, project lead of the National Youth uh, Climate uh, Action Plan with Asaya. Um, I know that um, um, Glenn Taylor-Davis uh, is a team leader at 350 Africa. Thank you so much uh, for for being um, so honest in your input in terms of where we are. Karabo, um, Honyana, it's really a pleasure for you to engage with you again and constantly being available, um, I'm not shy to, to, to really see Say it like it is in terms of uh, you not know, see women that really serve it, but really it's an integral part of what we do as well. Suppose so, uh, Mazoba. Thank you so much for 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 being honest, but also telling us uh, that you know we have a lot of work to do, but also not all is lost. So thank you so much for that and this this uh, um, important. Um, uh, conversation. We will also share it with the Department of uh, Environmental Affairs, uh, Fishery and Forestry as well, um, so that uh, they can uh, also be part of uh, these important uh, conversations as well as they, they have been. So to my guests, thank you so much for, for for joining us. Really a pleasure.
1: And be available next time when we invite you to to join us as well. Thank you so much.